Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Adloyd. How do we grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief and death. But with comedians, so it's not that depressing, I promise. Each time I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club, this is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Welcome to Griefcast. Welcome back to Griefcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy the show, please do subscribe and rate and review us. It really does help me to continue to make this lovely and strange thing and helps other people find the show too. My guest today is comedian, writer and actor Robert Webb. Robert has done a thousand things and you definitely know him, but if you haven't seen television ever, he is the star of The Mitchell and Webb Look, The Smoking Room, Back, Confetti, winner of a BAFTA, a British Comedy Award and Let's Dance for Comic Relief. And of course, he's one of the stars of the very brilliant Peep Show. Robert came in to talk to me about his mum, who died of cancer when he was 17. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Griefcast. I'm here today with actor, writer, comedian Robert Webb. Hello. Hi, Hi Rob. Hi. We're starting again because something went wrong. I know. So I, I feel like my prepared question. <laughs> I didn't have a prepared question. We were just talking about voiceovers. I've already had one of my famous tantrums. So yeah, I know. It was a bit they're much. Just, they're just putting the, all the furniture back together now. <laughs> What's ever pushed you to a tantrum? Yeah, uh, like... I don't... Th- or do you not do tantrums? Do you do I sort really, of internal? I honestly don't think I've done a proper one. I know uh, that I, I, I do sulk. I am capable uh, of going into sulker. a mope. Right. Yeah. Is it so. very? I think so because I don't do. I'm more of a loud. Yeah. I think that's probably, that's probably healthier. But sulking people, I feel like they think they're not saying anything, but it's so loud. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So and they, they think, well, this is much better than throwing furniture around. Yeah. And, and in a way, it, it is. It kind but, of is, but it but is unbelievably again, yeah, loud. How yeah, quiet sulk is. I have is. to really keep an eye on my own uh, my own sulks because they yes they can be quite they can be quite powerful. Do your kids sulk? Have you noticed like? Oh no, they're doing the same Not thing. Not yet. No, Ooh, they are good. very good. They're six and eight, and they're both very good at um, expressing how they feel in quite a forthright manner. Oh, that's great. Dory, who's six, has just got hold of the word literally, uh, <laughs> and so she's going. I am literally starving to death here. <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult not to be charmed, even though yeah. you, you want to. I always think, I don't know, when, when some people are like, oh, they're being like, kids are being charming or, or like cheeky, like, that's so useful in the real world. Yeah. Like, it's so useful. She can ask for something and get away with it. Like, that's great. That's going to serve her so well. I try to look at it like that. Yeah. Is your wife sulky? No. Like, how do you, oh, she forthright. No, she's sulky. very good. In fact, you know, I don't immediately want to talk about the book, but I, but it, I do sort of say that she is very good at initiating conversations about what is wrong with this relationship (laughs) (laughs) and or what is going well sometimes but um, but but that you know men can often leave that to someone else you know that's their job to keep an eye on that stuff so yeah i think it's important you can't have two sulkers that's absolutely right. You can have yeah. a sulker and a fourth. Well, you right? know what? Me and David Mitchell, we're we're two. Are sulkers. you both sulkers? Well, Dave, David's very good at. David doesn't sulk so much, but but the way we've, I remember I've talked to other people who've been in double acts, and uh, in fact, I don't mind dropping a name because I did work with him for three months. I did a play with Aid Edmondson, and he said, um, "Have you ever had the row?" I said, "No, we've avoided the row. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're both quite good at touchy silences." We sort of treat it with this lethal English courtesy. Yeah, uh, Ooh, and, we've, and it's not pleasant, but we've sort of, but that's got us through twenty years. <laughs> did he say they'd had the row? They did have the row, sadly. Oh, yeah, wow. he and Rick had the row, and, he, and I said, "What happened afterwards?" And he said, "Well, we kind of made up, but it was never quite the same again." Yeah. I don't know if that's a confidence that I shouldn't have passed on, but I, I think that's probably all right. That's probably okay. That's right. We'll check. We'll check with. We'll check. I'll ring him. <laughs> you and Aid, I know I, what it's like. Actually, <laughs> I actually did a panel show with him recently. Yeah, he's a very nice man. He's so nice. He's so nice that I was a bit. Um, it's funny, isn't it? Certain people that make you a bit like 
can't, can't quite look at you. Oh, all. yeah, no, yeah. every now and again. I was working with them for three months, but every now and then there was a sort of double take. I, I am standing on stage with Vivian. Yeah, yeah. Is, it's weird, is weird, isn't it? Yeah. It is weird. I should confess, that's how I felt a bit about doing Peep Show. Yay! Because I, this is, <laughs> I wasn't going to tell you this, but like, I was a massive Peep Show fan. Yay! Well, it started Massive. in 2003, so you'd only, you'd only be wee. Yeah. You'd only be t- in it's fact, like 10 years younger than me, aren't you? About? Yeah, so I was sort of... Yeah, I was at uni, and I remember yeah. everyone sort of being like, wow, it's perfect uni fodder, wasn't it, yeah, when it, it is, started? Yeah. So everyone being like, wow. And then the first scene I had to do, I had to storm into Jeremy's bedroom. <laughs> and they just like, just just storm in there and close the door, carry out. And I don't think anyone else was particularly around. It was just like one shot. And I did it, and no one could see in the bedroom. I was like, I'm in Jeremy's bedroom. <laughs> and I had to be cool about it because a lot of the other actors on that show aren't comedians. So I was sort of those main, they're quite actor actors. Yeah. So yeah. some of them were like, "Oh yeah, I've seen a few episodes." And I was yeah, like, they don't, they, "What? Well, you idiot! Yeah. You don't really. This is Jeremy's poetry I mean, book. I mean, this is literally Jeremy's duvet. Yeah, yeah. Here am I in Jeremy's jeans. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, my name's Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't we didn't have that. to do any kissing, did we? Because it's POV. No, we didn't. Yeah, we had to do a so scene we, in bed together. Right. But I had to just kiss a camera. That's right. You only get to kiss a camera. It's true. I found that so nice. Like, you know, when you do a comedy <laughs> job, you're like, oh, God, I'm going to have to kiss someone. Yeah, and yeah, when yeah. they were like, no, you just kiss a camera, I was yeah. like, oh, great. Yeah, it takes all the panic out of yeah. it. Definitely. It means I don't have to have a mint <laughs> <laughs> or worry about what I have for lunch. Is that the least you do? I'll do a mint. Okay, I've got to have a mint. Oh, God. Kiss this guy. I didn't have to kiss Bart. You didn't have to kiss Bart. No. I did kiss Bart. And yeah, he was did. very nice. He's he was very nice, nice about it. Yeah. yeah. All good. Anyway, <laughs> just start revealing my um, peep show geekiness. Who are we remembering today? Well, I suppose well, both my mum and dad uh, uh, died, um, but uh, my mum died when I was seventeen, whereas my dad died at a much more sort of normal time. He passed away uh, twenty thirteen, so but at a, at a more normal age. My mum was only forty three. Wow. Um, so. So when you invited me on, I suppose my thoughts immediately turned to her rather than yeah. to him, which seems a bit unfair. But you know, he had a be- he had a longer go. Yeah, no, I can understand that. <laughs> it's less tragic with him. Wow, so you've lost. I so I and also don't. Some people don't like the phrase "lost." Or I don't mind. Like, I don't mind like. lost. Although you know, the, the, some of the euphemisms do sort of. Yeah. You know, oh, he lost his battle with emphysema and prostate cancer. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like he sounds like he was very busy. <laughs> Doesn't, think very, doesn't always have to be a battle. It's very Monty Python. It's very like as if he's in a like yeah. know, medieval riding into a, a fight. Yeah, that going clip clop. Yeah, clop. with like one man. Mm. Um, so, what did your mum die of? Uh, with her, it was breast cancer. It was a pretty aggressive and speedy process. Actually, there was only really sort of four months between when she found a lump and uh, and when she died. So it was fairly. It was fairly quick. It was pretty well well set in by the time she noticed and then there was was a long delay before she was properly diagnosed and then there was Uh, another long delay before she had a partial mastectomy which didn't work out and then uh, yeah and then it was curtains uh, quite quickly after that so what like what month was she diagnosed do you remember that sort of happening Uh, I do know but I can't recall that immediately I mean because I was keeping a diary oh wow at the time and so yeah it was it was pretty from start to finish it was about four months yeah wow and so you were 17 when she was diagnosed or 16 you were 17 the whole thing was while I was 17 so you're at school yeah lower six form lower six wow yeah it's interesting and I know when I got in touch with you or when I I read a bit of um, your amazing book in the Guardian because I 
I was 15 when my dad died. Right. So I can't help, but obviously when someone's a teenager, you get that kind of like, oh. And my dad was diagnosed in the February and dead by the April. Yeah. So similar, like just... Oh, that is... Your, yeah. yeah, your world is just... And I don't know how you feel, but I remember thinking, like, as if just the tablecloth had just been pulled out from everything. Oh, yeah. Like, just suddenly everything is completely... Well, I think finding out... I mean, the, you know, it, it, perhaps it's a, a strange way of thinking about it, but I, but I sort of... There is this sort of hierarchy, this kind of, you know, order of what, what was the worst bit yeah, in, my, yeah. in my mind. And actually finding out that she wasn't going to recover mm. was the worst bit. Yeah. Second only to the months afterwards. Yeah. Third is... When the day she actually died that's a comparative yeah. picnic compared to the bit where you find out they're not going to get better were you told did someone yeah. say well it should have been uh, it should have been obvious really I mean she'd been in bed for weeks she was clearly very ill indeed but nobody had actually said and I right. hadn't asked yeah uh, because I sort of didn't want to know I didn't ask yeah I was too afraid to say because I just thought I just don't want to hear the answer yeah. so yeah and I lived in, there's a sort of self-protective thing going on, even though, you know, it's not entirely wise, but we, we weren't, you know, it wasn't a very sort of chatty, death-literate family, and mm. most aren't. And I lived with her and my stepdad, Derek, and my father, who she divorced when I was five, and I had a, you know, they, he and I never really saw eye to eye, and uh, and I would see him at sort of birthdays and Christmas and, you know, days when he'd trust himself to come around and be nice. Uh, and he came round because he'd sort of worked out that I didn't know. And he'd had a couple of pints and he sat me down. I, you know, I got off the bus from school and I sat down and there's Derek and Dad in the kitchen round the table together, which was a novel sight and yeah. not a welcome one. And sort of, you know, I was immediately uh, on red alert. And he said, uh, now, now, boy, your mum's poorly. It's terminal. <laughs> And, and that's that's how I found out. And then, you know, in the book I describe, he immediately starts talking to Derek about whether he's going to need to get a cleaner in. Because because <laughs> uh, he's just looking around the kitchen going, because it's hard, isn't it, mate? It's hard keeping a place clean. And, uh, well, Josie, who does my house, uh, I give her a fiver. Uh, she does a couple of hours. And uh, and Derek starts haggling about, you know, how, <laughs> how much he's going to need to pay Josie. Uh, so, this is Were you of, just standing there? I was, just, I was just, just sitting there, there and right? they sort of broke off and they noticed I was crying. Oh and then God. sort of later that day, I I talked to her and she said, I'm sorry, Paul's always been a pen in the arse and I'm sorry you had to find out like that and I should have told you myself. But um, but then we had a conversation. So um, you managed a conversation with her? Yeah. What was that like? Were you able to express yourself or did you feel too emotional? She, I was, well, very emotional, but I was trying to keep it together because so was she and I thought it was only polite to, <laughs> to sort of match that, if you like. And she said... Uh, now, is there anything you'd like to ask me or anything you'd like to tell me? And in the book, I say, you know, I felt a thousand future selves lean in with interest. Yeah. I mean, what is this mega question or yeah. this statement apart from I love you? And I didn't back myself to say that without without breaking down. So um, I told her the thing that was most important to me at the time about being 17, which was... <laughs> um, a lot of people seem to assume that I'm having sex all the time, but would it surprise you if I said that I was a virgin? <laughs> And she st- she started to smile, but she didn't want to look like she was taking the piss. And she said, I won't say I'm surprised, I won't say I'm unsurprised, but you'll catch them up. And I said, yeah, but all my all my mates have got girlfriends. And she said, you'll catch them up and overtake them in everything. Oh, wow. And, um, uh, yeah, and then I, I don't remember much else about the chat, really, but um, 
I do remember, you know, at one point she sent me off to make a cup of tea, and I think to, to buy herself a bit of space, and, and me too. And we were watching Dallas on the uh, portable black and white telly that she had in her bedroom. But the the the, the finding out day was the was the tough bit. With your dad and Derek, yeah, yeah. Um, she was like the the indispensable parent. Because, yeah. You know, my my she divorced my father when I was five, and as I say, I didn't have much contact with him. Uh, in that in those in those intervening years, and she remarried nice man called Derek placid teetotal mild but himself not not exactly captain charisma and <laughs> uh and he, he was a difficult man to admire in some ways and so i never quite had that, that kind of male role model that um other people seem to have so she was the absolute center of that yeah. of that parental universe if you can imagine such a thing she was a kind of rock the, the sort of fixed point in the universe. oh i totally know what you mean because i you know i love my dad but mm. my mum always says, it's a good job I didn't go. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, he was a quite volatile. I've said this many times in the podcast. He was quite a difficult character. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she says, oh, it's a good job I didn't go. She's like, he would have been married again within two years. You would have been. And I, I can sort of see a parallel universe where, you know, it was the other way around. And, yeah. and yeah, it, I know what you mean. Like, my mum was definitely the... You know, is still the rock of the family and kept us going. And my my dad's death caused many other problems. Yeah, but I completely understand that. Yeah, that feeling of no, the parent was, you can rely on. Yeah, because my dad was not the person you relied on at yeah. all. Yeah, emotionally and practically. She yeah, was, she was right in the middle of it, holding the whole thing together. And when she disappeared, it was just everything flew off in different directions. Oh, God, it must have just been. Do you remember going to school at that time? Do you remember, yeah. like, how did you feel as a seventeen-year-old with you've just had the conversation with your mum and yeah. she's dying, and you're having to go back in and talk to people about? Well, I told my I told my friends and I told a couple of teachers. I thought it was important to tell the teachers that that they knew what was going on. And my friends, I you know, looking back, I feel ever so sorry for them because they just didn't know what to do with me. Yeah. Um, they were saying the things that they'd seen on films and t- TV shows about, you know, if you need to talk, then just talk. I'm here. <laughs> That's what you say, isn't it? Yeah. You tell people that you're available to talk. <laughs> And um, and I was like, oh, okay, thanks. That's that's really nice. But um, you know, part of what I'm talking about in the book, the way boys and girls are conditioned differently, and one of the disadvantages that boys find themselves at is that they are specifically trained not to talk. Mm. That you know, if you are experiencing grief or pain or embarrassment or shame or fear, you get the strong impression that what you're supposed to do with that is ignore it or bottle it up or shrug it off, laugh at it or pretend it isn't happening, turn mm. it off like a light switch. And so when you're suddenly surrounded by people saying, if you need to talk, I'm here, you, you, you know, you're grateful for the for their kindness, but on the other hand, you're you're sort of thinking, talk, what, what's this talking thing? Yeah. What, what now, this is a bit novel, now I'm supposed to talk. Well, how does talking help? Talking yeah. is not going to bring her back and talking is not going to... So what's the, what's all that about? So it was, it was a long time before I could talk, really, about it. And it was... The other thing that I remember about how I sort of interacted with my friends at school was that there was a moment where I I walked into the sixth form common room and there was they were all gathered together because they were being briefed by the head of sixth form, a very nice man called Bob Edwards, about this trip that we were all going to go on to this sort of university's fair type thing that was happening in Nottingham where all the admissions tutors from lots of universities were sitting around the edge of this hall and you all go and have a chat and take away prospectus and that and I didn't want to miss it and it was on the day of mum's funeral Mm. so I went to the funeral 
and then I got my brother Mark to drive me back into school and I walked into the common room and they all knew where I'd been and I admit in the book that there was a part of me that slightly enjoyed it oh yeah slightly come on you're enjoy- a teenager <laughs> grieving like I mean I definitely got a few but, you know they're you all get a few moments out of it you know, I can feel these 80 yeah. pairs of eyes on me yeah. and they are wondering how they would cope if their mum had just died and yeah. they just been to her funeral and I'm going to show them yeah. I'm going to show them how cool, You're a performer. How cool I am. You can't Absolutely. help but be like, it's of sort of like I'm the lead in a show right now. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I am definitely the lead. So, you know, don't blow it. Yeah, yeah. This is sort of my scene. So it was, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I felt like so that. So it was, you know, sense. how cool I'm, am I going to be, you know, modestly shrugging this off? Wow. And bravely, you know, making brave little comments. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, definitely there's, you know, you've got to get something out of it. And also I think, I don't know if it's performance things, but I definitely felt... It's a coping mechanism, obviously. So I was sort of like, I'm playing the role of um, acceptable yeah. griever. Yeah. So I would say things and I would see their face be like, oh, that's good, Carrie had said that. And you'd be like, yes, that was a good thing to say, wasn't it? That did sound like I well, was it coping. Gi- you, it gives you instant wisdom. Yeah. You know, it's oh that, that you're suddenly the go-to girl for, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, if anybody loses a cat. Oh, yeah, yeah. Then, you know, first they're embarrassed mm. to talk to you about it. Yeah. Because they don't want it because the cat is, not a, a cat. is not a parent. Yeah. On the other hand, they think you might have some secret knowledge about yeah. how you how you, you do, deal with you this. You do. You're like, sure. I know. I know how you feel. <laughs> but I talk about that. Like, I became like the go-to grief girl because, like, yeah. anybody else had lost, and they'd be like, "I'll oh, just yeah. talk to Carriad." Yeah. Very I mean, quickly, you're like, not, "Oh, it's, okay." It's not entirely silly. I mean, you, if yeah. you've been through a, a thing that you know, there are you know, there are certain, as I'm sure you've 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 admitted you haven't read the book, so I'm going to admit I haven't listened to this podcast. So I, I haven't, <laughs> we're all being only because very... I have a baby. <laughs> Otherwise, I definitely... I thought that on the way here. I was like, actually, I You know what? It. Actually, reading a whole book is a bigger commitment than listening to a couple of... Anyway, so... <laughs> yeah, um, so I don't know if you've done this before, but I mean, or noticed this before, I'm sure you have, that, but, that when you talk to dickheads like me on this subject, there are certain common experiences and there are mm, things yeah, that, you, yeah. that you can... I mean, everyone's different, obviously, and everyone has a different story, but certain things will will keep coming up. And so, you actually, you know, you can guide someone through through the thing but but obviously to oneself it feels like suddenly I'm Yoda yeah and, yeah and I, definitely. I'm not quite sure what I did to earn this but, yeah. and, but people are sort of turning to you and kind of going but did you I sort of enjoyed that I yeah. definitely sort of was like yeah. again I talk about this sort of like oh you've got to get something and if I'm going to get brilliant wisdom out of it and have everyone be like oh yeah carry on when you were older did you find it uh, useful for getting laid <laughs> N- no do you know what I think as a woman yeah what I would find is I would be talk i remember being oh my oh god being on holiday in spain or somewhere with like the girl you know way too young to be off but i was mm-hmm. and talking to some guy and i was very um i'm very honest i can't help myself like so i was uh-huh. like oh my dad just died this and thinking oh we're having a really good chat and then him like putting his arm around me and me being like oh um oh okay uh, just talking about my dad dying so it's a mm. bit weird and then I'm talking about this and then he's gone in for a kiss me being like oh hang on hang on oh whoa, 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 whoa. oh no, so I found the other no fella I, yeah. no, no fella but you know you've had a couple of sangrias and you're on the beach and you sort of yeah. go oh, oh. Well. you know you've, yeah and that's when I feel sad because I think what I actually wanted was someone to go yeah. that's awful you sound like you're not pain yeah but then I'd sleep with them <laughs> but I, I so I think as a woman it was definitely mm. it didn't it worked the other way cause because they were like she vulnerable yes yeah, yeah. because the expectations are different uh, yeah, yeah, to, me it was, yeah. to me it was quite useful because you oh I can imagine you know, the other way it must have been like oh, yeah because oh he's a sensitive guy yeah. he's quite open yeah. he's happy to talk to it he'd look at him bravely shrugging this off <laughs> 
And <laughs> See, I would have been onto your game straight away. Yeah, I would have been like, hang on a minute. Yeah, there were women who didn't work on the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were like, oh yeah, I see what you're doing. Are you using it, this to it's, it's a great, get my pants? You've got to think about my mum and thinking, it, <laughs> that, that expression that it comes in very handy every now and again, it's what she would have wanted. <laughs> <laughs> she would have been very proud. Yes. She would have been very proud. So you go to this funeral. Yeah. Was it... Did you cry at the funeral? Do you remember being very like, I'm just, I'm going to be brave. I'm not going to. I'm not sure that I did actually. I think it, I think it was my my experience of it was a, was a sort of numbness. Yeah. Um, that I I found it hard to cry actually. What the, there was a moment about a week later, where I collected all of her favorite records that she used to listen to. She wow. had uh, we had an old fashioned record player, and she had these, you know, forty five finals and it was uh, Talking in Your Sleep by Crystal Gale and anything by Elkie Brooks and a couple of Rod Stewart's and David Soul and and there was one in particular that it got to the chorus and the floodgates just yeah. opened uh, and certain smells and certain sounds uh, but with me it was it was her it was her records that helped but that was a week later and I think I'd been sort of buttoning the whole this is a cold sniff not, not a, <laughs> it's purely oh, viral not, but we, yeah. I'll, I'll let you know when it, when we get to the other kind of sniff but um, but it, yeah it was uh, I was keeping it quite buttoned up until then and then I sort of almost deliberately like sticking two fingers yeah, down your throat yeah I almost deliberately um, uh, brought it on like that uh, and, I, and I think that was that was useful that's um, really interesting I definitely had moments like that as well of being very conscious okay I'm gonna yeah. now I need to do a cry mm. okay cry done yeah the I, numbness is very hard to explain I, I couldn't do well. it with uh, with my stepdad and I have two older brothers but they're much older they're five and six years older than me that wasn't gonna happen um, did they cry so you didn't see anyone else crying no. or yeah no not really um, a, a little bit yeah I, I saw uh, the, the day that she died I was in my bedroom uh, supposedly revising for a mock economics A-level exam oh but actually just sort of staring through the window and my brother Mark came in and said I think you should come into the bedroom and then he said she's gone mate and uh, and she was there on the bed the way, where she'd been for many days and she was it was it's that uncanny thing of uh, when you see a, a dead body for the first time and she was she was there but not there mm. simultaneously it was a very strange thing looked exactly because she hadn't been conscious for for a while um but now not breathing and the, the, that sort of long distance breathing the sort of horrible mm. drowning gurgling noise had stopped and um there is a there's an element of relief there as well yeah. and that was uh that was hard and then you know I went outside in the back garden with Mark and he yeah he was keeping it together for me and mm. I was keeping it together for him and what strange creatures we are. Yeah. But um, but no, there was no crying that day. So she died at home? Yeah. Was there ever like a hospice offered or they just said... I wasn't privy to those decisions. Yeah. Um, I think it came on pretty quickly. And no, she was at home and uh, there there'd be a Marie Curie nurse. They're, they're all brilliant. Um, sort of in and out. And uh, Derek was... Helping Derek got ill under the strain, and Mum's friend Carol, who was her boss actually, um, Carol ran a local hotel. Mum was the, uh, the hotel secretary, and they were very good friends. And she came in and was just 
brilliant. Uh, you know, she didn't flap, she didn't showboat, she just quietly took over. Mm. Uh, and and all the sort of practical help as well, you know, bringing a, a home-cooked lasagna, you know, yeah. bringing stuff for us to eat. And then... Uh, and then it, and you know, the whole bungalow smelled like a medicine cabinet and just the, all of that, you know, all of the drugs and stuff. And then suddenly she's not there. Yeah. And then there's this extraordinary absence. I feel like we're saying about the sulking, is it? It's like it's so loud. The silence yeah, is yeah. so loud yeah, that that the, person's the ab- not there. The absence is like a presence. It's, yeah. like, it's like this black hole. And uh, I wasn't prepared for that at all. Uh, yeah, it's, I don't know how you can be unless you've experienced no. it because I think if anyone tried to explain it to you it mm. makes no sense yeah you go of course yeah someone's there and then yeah. they're not there and yeah it, and it's well, you're like oh yeah I get it like you sort of miss them being around but to explain how loud that yeah you're never going to smell her smell again yeah. hear her voice again see <laughs> see her eyes again it's just extraordinary and and did you find as well when someone's been ill in the house I don't know if you had this, if like you could sort of walk past and glance in, they're just there. They're just mm. sat very still in one place and that's yeah. just where they are, yeah. even if it's a short time. Yeah. So like you said, she's just in her room, that's it. And suddenly you walk past and you look and you're like, oh, hang, like what? Yeah. Hang on. I found that very, yeah, disorientating. Just yeah. the emptiness. Oh God, yeah. It's, it's... Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> Taking myself back here, not even meaning to. Um... So you had the funeral. Oh, that's what I meant to ask you. I um, sorry. I hope not. It's just because we're both teenagers when it happened. Yeah. I had my GCSEs two weeks after he died. Hooray! Hooray! But I think I the bits I have read of your book that have been printed for free. <laughs> <laughs> very busy being. I know, a you've, you've got an eleven-month-old. Um, yeah. All all excuses yeah. granted. Um, so all the, permission slips signed. Yeah. So you were talk. What I found amazing that you were talking about you know you went from the funeral you didn't want to miss universities like you were revising like yeah. as someone who's in a slightly similar position i found that really interesting because i could not have given a shit i yeah. i gave up on everything yeah so i found your i found it really um impressive that you were like i need to go to that university fair like i still want to pass these exams well, i think that was that was partly unusually for me i had the sense to know that uh keeping busy would be a good idea mm. And in fact, for me, I think it was a good idea because the, the rest of the time, rather than, you know, I know people who, when they're having tough times, they throw themselves into their work. Uh, with me, um, uh, the result was paralysis. Mm. It's not that I didn't give a shit anymore. I did. I gave a massive shit, but I couldn't do it. And uh, and I, for my A-levels, I didn't get anything like what I needed. What I needed was, was a bit more than usual because I was obsessed with going to Cambridge because yeah. of, you know a lot it felt like half the people that I really loved watching on TV had been to this particular place yeah. and what was that about and and there was this student comedy club called Footlights and I'd go to the school library and read The Listener and and you know scan the the Daily Mirror at home for and watch Wogan and <laughs> you know and find out you know what how they'd done it and what they were up to and um Obviously, this is pre-internet, and my it was a grammar school that I was at, and they were they were geared up for sending people to university, but they, but drama school was this completely alien thing. Don't mm. you have to live in a big city to go to drama school? And there, there wasn't so much as a leaflet in the no. in the small cupboard that the school <laughs> laughingly called its careers uh, <laughs> room. So it had to be university. Mm. So I was hell bent on that, but at the same time, I just couldn't do, I just wasn't doing the work, mm. and. Uh, 
so when I when I came to resit the exams, that's when I moved out of the bungalow because oh, I couldn't okay. uh, I couldn't imagine doing it all over again mm. in that same environment. And you know, she was just present, mm. but also not present in every you know squeak of the sofa and the hum of the fridge. And it was just I had to run away basically, and I went to live with my dad. So you, this is the man you hadn't, like you said, had a great relationship with. Yeah. And then you go and start living with him yeah. after, and you're grieving, and he must have been grieving in of his own. Of course he was. Yeah. I mean, I didn't way. notice. Yeah. Because because <laughs> yeah. I, I was angry with him. Yeah. Because the wrong God. parent died. Oh, you must have been so angry. You <laughs> um, must have been so. And you know, he'd been uh, on. You know, this is you know going back. This is the so this is the mid seventies. He was on a short fuse. He drank a fair bit. Mm. Uh, he punished his sons physically. I mean, to contextualise that, you know, this is. Uh, corporal punishment was still legal in primary schools. You yeah. could come at a kid with a, you could come at a nine-year-old with a stick <laughs> and keep your job as a teacher. In fact, be a, be seen as a good teacher. He's, you know, it was a very, with that stick and with maths, a, he's really good. It was a very different time, but I was extremely frightened of him. Yeah. There again, you know, I tried to bring him to life in the book, and he had some great points. You had some wonderful things about him. He was straightforwardly kind. He had a great reputation in the village he would give people free you know he was a coal merchant and then he had a fruit and veg shop and he would give his friends free stuff which is why he never made any money because he was on first name terms with 80% of the village and, <laughs> you know, and then he, he drank the rest of it so yeah. you know uh, but he was charming and charismatic and funny and there were lots of things to admire about him but I was still scared shitless of him yeah. and still very angry with him that uh, he'd been such an arsehole when he had a small family that was a difficult uh, time, but, you know, he was on my side, which is, you know, the the, the least you can hope for yeah. of any parent. You know, you find yourself in a in a bear pit. You want the guy who's going to jump down into the bear pit with you, mm. even if it's not going to help. And that's what he sort of did. So uh, I was very grateful for him to give me that space. And I had to go back to school for a year. That's very, there's a very... Um practicality to mm. what you did which I find really admirable obviously there was a Rob that was grieving but then a small part of you must have been like you have to not be in this house you have mm. to go and live with your dad and mm. uh, even though that's something that perhaps yeah. two years before if you'd said to that Rob you're going to go and live with your dad he would have been like you- no no way <laughs> you must be fucking <clears throat> yeah. joking like there seems to be an extreme yeah. survival mode when this is how we're going to deal yeah. with this well it was I, I think there's also um, uh, relishing this new Control uh, wow, a yeah. completely new. I mean, there was literally nobody to tell me to tell me what to yeah, do. Of course. Yeah. So because Derek just hadn't played that part mm. in my life, he'd been present, but not, but you know, not not a parent in that sense. Yeah. And uh, and Dad, bless him, knew that he was the last person who was going to tell me what to do, or, or he just hadn't earned it. Yeah. And um, so you're in charge, and it feels like you know I could, of course, all teenagers and indeed all people can imagine worse things happening to you. I have a vivid imagination and, you know, I could have lost a couple of limbs. I could have lost my eyesight. But apart from that, I couldn't really imagine something worse happening to me yeah. than mum disappearing. So it, so that, in a sense, that em, emboldened me, really. Mm. I'm kind of, okay, this was a fucking awful thing that could have happened and it did happen. So what's the worst that's going to happen now? You know, am I going to be embarrassed because I'm, impl- I'm applying to this very posh university and they might laugh at me? Is that going to bother me? Yeah. So it, it sort of, at the same time that it it, it damaged, there was real damage done mm. because I didn't talk about it with anyone. I don't think damaged people are stronger than other people. I don't think that thing about what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I think that's a yeah. lot of nonsense. Um, it, you know, I took a big 
took a piece out of me. But what it did do is give me a slight sense of defiance. Yeah. Um, which uh, I think helped, and and just and that, you know, having that agency and being able to say, this is where I'm going to live now. Yeah. And this is the university I'm going to apply to, and this is how it's going to work. That I think was was a was yeah was was a a positive reaction. I mean, I can't take any credit for it really. It just seemed like the obvious thing to do. So um. no, I think, but I think you should take credit for it. <laughs> like, because we we've talked about it before that there is this weird. Well, I definitely felt it. I was untouchable. Mm. There was nothing you could say or do to me. Yeah. For about, I think about five-ish years afterwards, and then it faded, mm. and I sort of became normal again. Yeah. And I would start worrying about, I'd be like, oh, oh, I'm a bit worried about that person thing. So I was like, oh shit, it it rubbed off. But yeah. definitely for about five years, I, you could have said, you could have all my, and it, yeah, you could have told me I was ugly and disgusting and untalented. I would have been like, yeah, and my, like, <laughs> so what? Like, somebody just died, and that it definitely gave me a a, a fire, but I, it gave me a gave me such a fear at the same time I think it's really incredible that there was some single mindedness like you said and I find it really interesting because my dad used to say to me all the time as a joke where are you going to go and I had to say Cambridge right really and I but I never believed I would ever go like yeah. I never thought I was like it's a funny joke my dad says did he go to university um no so right. he had a, but went to a private boys school and uh-huh. so had somehow disappointed the chain. There was some expectation on him. Yeah, so there was this right. expectation. So I think, funny enough, because there was this, like, he was like, oh, of course, you'll go go to Cambridge. And he would tell me about Footlight. But to me, then, when yeah. he left, I was like, oh, well, then I can't, I can't do that. Yeah. That's not possible. So I think it's really, I think you should take credit for going, <laughs> I'm going to do something positive. Because it would have been so easy for you to just get pissed, watch Dallas, and <laughs> not do anything. Like, I find it amazing that that 17-year-old it boy... Just, it, it didn't... F- feel like an option because there was a there was a push and a pull thing yeah. with, with Cambridge there was the pull towards uh, trying to meet other people who reckoned they were funny and me finding out whether I was funny or not with them that was you know I went there specifically to meet someone like David Mitchell and yeah. luckily met the actual David Mitchell <laughs> um, so lucky and on the other hand there was there was a push away from not just away from the grief and the death and the, just the general depressing Situation and the fact that you know one dead parent, two slightly useless dads. Mm. Um, That's a great sitcom. But there was <laughs> my two slightly useless was, dads. I'll be the uh, the feckless dad that doesn't <laughs> doesn't worry enough, and David yeah. can be the, the the dad that worries too much. Um, but also um, there was a there was an education thing, and of course this is Britain, so education becomes is almost synonymous with class. But I had this idea of this person that I wanted to be yeah. and it wasn't someone who left school at 16 and got a job and looked forward to Friday night and lived for the weekend and that's yeah. how I'd seen my brothers do that when I talk about class by the way it won't be immediately obvious to listeners that I, I've been doing an impression of a middle class person since I was about 15 <laughs> and actually we lived in this bungalow and we read the Daily Mirror and we watched Blind Date and Dallas and we no one had been to university everyone had a job but no one had a career it was that, yeah, yeah. Um, and I wanted to be not that. Yeah, I wanted to be for some reason. I wanted. I mean, I was. I had a part-time job at Gateway Supermarket. At lunch times on a Saturday, I would buy secretly buy the Guardian <laughs> or the Independent <laughs> and find somewhere quite to secretly. Re- I had a car at the time. It was my inheritance. Oh, I got wow. six hundred quid from Mum. She, she yeah. had a life insurance policy it was split three ways. So I had this windfall. I blew it on a car. 
uh, on a Datsun Cherry, and I would go and sit in my car and read the, read the Independent or listen to the news quiz on Radio Four. Uh, and uh, you know, I had I was a sort of closet middle class <laughs> person. We think Rob's middle class. Don't say anything; hasn't come out yet. Keep it to yourself. Because if you because you had to be careful, because there was this kind of anti-intellectualism sort of knocking around, and yeah. you know, if you said a, a word like I don't know. Isolated. Oh, somebody swallowed a dictionary. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> so you yeah. have to be careful. So in a way, I suppose maybe even if your mum hadn't died, that mm. would have that was your path anyway. That would still have been true, but I mean the the whole what if she hadn't died game mm. uh can lead you down some very peculiar oh, yeah, alleys yeah. because, you know, maybe I would have settled for uh you know, I'd I'd have made it maybe I'd have I'd have done better than I did, but not what I needed, and yeah. I'd have ended up at Leeds, which was my second choice. Now mm. there were funny people at Leeds. Uh, <laughs> Toby Davis is a very, very funny comedy writer. He yeah. was there. I'd have bumped into him. I'd have been a, a year above, I think, but um, I could have still ended up doing doing what I was doing. But there'd been no Mitchell and Webb, and we wouldn't have been an off-the-shelf double act ready for Peep Show. Yeah, yeah. So there'd be no Peep Show as we know it. Well, that is um, not okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> not okay, Robert. Uh, so. Yeah, so it would have been a very different thing. But then you argue yourself into yeah. into saying, thank God she died. I know, I know. It's really hard, isn't it? Because you want... I like to find the positive in, in things, and yeah. I find that helpful. Yeah. So I'll often be like, well, you know, it's made me who I am, and it's made me, you know, appreciate things. And then you're like, oh, what am I, what am I saying? Well, luckily you no. don't have to make that choice, do you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's done for you. So you get to Cambridge after retaking... After quite a pig's ear, yeah. After God, Which is incredible determination so that shows real determination and then once that goal is met mm. did grief start bubbling up then i wonder yeah. if it was then like oh shit i don't have anything to focus yeah it really did no. um and i think when it comes to particularly talking about comedy i used my what i fondly thought of as my talent uh, i sort of wore it like a suit of armor mm. and i was deeply arrogant obnoxious <laughs> um, publicly aware of his own abilities oh, I was a nightmare I bet you were a nightmare I was a fucking nightmare I bet you were a nightmare and uh, it was fine while Footlights were sort of ignoring me in my yeah. first year by my second year I was kind of uh, I was in the middle of it you were right in the gang and then I, then I was a bit of a nightmare by my third year I was basically in charge oh then god all bets I mean total peak nightmare <laughs> were you a, did you what's the word C- captain of Footlights what's the uh, word I director wasn't, I, I wasn't president President, uh, sorry, but I, no, don't, my, I don't know how it works where you're from. The year when I might have been president, it was uh, someone called Charlie Hartill, who was no longer with us, I'm afraid. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. He had, he suffered from uh, depression and uh, and drank a fair bit, but he was he was a lot of fun, uh, and he'd stuck around an extra year, uh, so it was kind of his turn. Um, so I missed out on that, but I was so I wasn't I, I wasn't president of Footlights, but I I basically thought of myself as king, <laughs> <laughs> and if not emperor, emperor, uh, yeah, he's running it, but yeah. I'm. But I'm basically the, the goddamn star I'm around goddamn here, because yeah, I'd been on tour and he hadn't. And you know, there are various yeah. things yeah. That, um, that that marked me out as the senior. How did bastard. this? How did this manifest? Were you just sort of strutting around? Were you just a total arsehole? For example, uh, so Charlie and I, uh, in my third year, were writing. Uh, Footlights do three big shows a year, and the first one is uh, a panto. They do a funny pantomime with songs. And uh, we were doing Dick Whittington, and I was writing it with Charlie, and we pointed a director, 
and I informed the director that I'd be playing Dick Whittington and uh, the director said that you know traditionally the part of the principal boy is played by a girl I told him that that wouldn't be happening this year and then we <laughs> known were, feminist was, Robert Webb the goes <laughs> <laughs> nabs, the, nabs the massive part that he's written for himself for himself, for himself. yeah uh, yeah, and then Charlie and I were incredibly late and disorganised writing the script because we were, I just went round to his house, he'd open a bottle of wine, yeah. we'd have a great time, I mean a really great time, <laughs> at everyone else's expense while yeah. they were waiting for us to write this thing. We'd swan into production meetings in our long coats, <laughs> um, late and emotional, make various toss make oh various toss pop pronouncements there was oh, so they, we walked into I definitely production dated meeting guys once. like that at uni. oh yeah, 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 yeah. oh nightmare we, we walked in once and there was an argument going on and Charlie went what is the problem I shall solve it instantly <laughs> and they told him what the problem was and he did solve it instantly oh, but by go. doubling the budget <laughs> um, <laughs> which is not a good way. anyway but do you um, remember so you're having this sort of, you know great time and you, mm. you've got what you want who were you talking to? Or was it still like, I'm not talking to anyone about my grief? Well, I by the time I got there, I started having a bit more luck uh, with going out with people, or, or at least having sex with people. And the problem for me uh, at the end of my, towards the end of my first year, was that I had this uh, uh, sort of uh, casual sexual arrangement with this very, very uh, sexy and fantastic girl. And I was utterly besottedly in love with this boy, who was a third year at the time. Right. And then what happened was, of course, they went out with each other. <gasps> no. Which is the it's the it's the that's peep show. It's that's the bi- it oh is yeah God. yeah it's the the bisexual man trap. Um, <laughs> and and at that oh, point, shit. and at that point, I couldn't really I could get out of bed, but I couldn't really feed myself. I wasn't doing anything. Yeah. I was utterly. Reacting really, too much, really do you think? Like, de- really depressed yeah. for for a fortnight, and I thought this can't be right. I know this has been a real pain in the ass. These two people getting together, yeah. but on the other hand, I shouldn't be reacting like this. Yeah. Maybe something else is going on. And luckily for me, that university at the time had a free counselling service. There was quite a waiting list, but it was there. So I signed up and I waited. And then when I got there, you have this sort of initial assessment. I call it in the book the how bonkers are you anyway. <laughs> but these are not the preferred terms. Um, and it was the head of the counselling services, a uh, nice old chap. And I told him about these two people and he looked frankly bored. I think this is, <laughs> I, I think this is a more common experience than one might imagine. Um, but then he, asked, he said, thank you. And now please uh, tell me something about your family. So I told him about uh, my mum and dad. And then I told him about my mum. Then I told him about living with dad. And, and he says at the end of it... Um, there's been a lot of separation in your life and I think you use it uh, as a model uh, through which you see current adversity and it makes things feel worse than they actually are. I think you have a problem and I think we can help. Wow. And to hear that from a proper professional grown-up was it just yeah. made all the difference and and it suddenly I didn't have to feel guilty about you know, I I would go and see someone for an hour a week and and just talk about what was going on in my head and just to know all the way through that previous week that you know okay well this is a really horrible experience and the suicidal thoughts are back and I can't really discuss this with my friends for whatever reason these new friends uh, who I don't know that well really but that's okay because I can go and talk to Michael about it on mm. a Thursday 
And, you know, I like him, but he's not my friend and he's not my grandmother. I'm not wasting his time. He literally has nothing better to do. This is what <laughs> he's, he's chosen. To, for yeah. whatever reason, this is what he's chosen to do with his working life. And it's nice, you know, I mean, you know, we go into the kitchen and, you know, he makes us both a cup of instant coffee. And then the weird part was that what happens next is we sort of go up the stairs to his office, like two men going upstairs to do what I've been specifically trained all my childhood and teenage years not to do, which yeah. is to talk to another person about my feelings. And I say in the book, you know, there was always part of me, the, the sort of childhood part of me screaming, this is so gay! <laughs> it would almost be less gay if we were going upstairs to fuck each other, because at least that would be... At least that would be manly. That would be an activity. We'd be, ha- we'd yeah, be having that sex. Would be, we'd be doing something. <laughs> yeah, this not is... Just, this is- Anything but talking, anything but talking. Um, I love the real... It was really um, useful. Like the the awful un-PC child that we all have inside ourselves occasionally. (laughs) It's like, yuck! (laughs) What's happening? Don't do it. So you got cancelling quite early in a way. Because you must have been... How old were you then? Well, I... So so she died when I was 17 and I got cancelled. I I was 20 by the time I turned up uh, in my first year. So, yeah, coming on for 21 Yeah, that's quite like... I'll use the word good, but I think it's quite, yeah. I mean, amazing that they have that service. And again, credit to you that you were, I didn't get cancelling until last year. Right. Like, I just, Righto. I tried a couple of times. Well, it's, it's, it's you know. I just couldn't. On the one hand, you know, it's, it's difficult to get it on the NHS. Yeah, on the other yeah. hand, it's fucking expensive if you, if yeah. you do it privately. So it's. But even, it's I just, I just couldn't. Uh, yeah, I come from a family that's all about talking, and right. yet I couldn't talk about this. Yeah, yeah. I found it very to a stranger. I found it so. Yeah. Yeah, I found like, and it was until last year. And then I was like, oh, I suddenly feel like something, something happened, and I was able yeah. to. So I think that's amazing that you. Thank God that service was there. Yeah. And did you feel like once you started talking to Michael, did you feel like your grief? Did you notice it changing? Did you notice thinking, oh, okay. I'm, well, or just in a in a way, I mean, it it's. Uh, I, I suppose I'm not an expert, but the, I think there's a difference between seeing a counsellor and seeing a, a psychiatrist. Yeah. Um, which is that a counsellor, all they're really there to do is to listen. Every now and again, he will draw a few things together. Mm. Um, and <laughs> in fact, this is uh, I shouldn't do this because this is untypical of of what it was like. Normally, it was just me talking there was no pressure to be cheerful but there again there was no pressure to be miserable you know sometimes I cried sometimes I didn't Mm. the value of it was knowing that it was around the corner knowing that there was some release but what he said once uh, I talked about how I hadn't been able to do this this work this essay that I was supposed to do about this long poem and he said well what's the poem about and so it's the dream of the rude it's about the crucifixion and he went "Mm mm-hmm in a way Robert You've been crucified, you? <laughs> <laughs> and I did burst out laughing. And he said, "No, uh, you're you're right. That's probably a little bit far fetched. I mean, that's not really what happens. Um, but that was just it just stuck in my mind. Because mine loves was, to do There was that. another time when I I was talking about my fear of people finding me boring. Uh, yeah. That was an enormous. Uh, that was a big deal. The worst thing you could call me was boring. Oh, wow. Now these days, I'm 45. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> it fits, your, fits the narrative now. Yeah. Fine. yeah. <laughs> um, but I was talking to Michael about that, and he said uh, it was just this slightly crumpled man in his 50s with these specks and this grey hair and this cardigan and these baggy trousers, just looking at me with peak sincerity and saying, 
I don't think you're boring. <laughs> I don't think you're boring at all. <laughs> and again, I really wanted to laugh, but I think I didn't. But, any, but it was it was good because I, I was only I think I only went for about ten sessions, but it was uh, it made the difference just knowing that there was a sort of release valve. Did you then go and start talking more to your brother and your dad, or did that never really? No, not with. I never talked about it with dad. Um, Ever, even when not really. Wow, not really. Uh, Would no, he ever mention was... her? Or... No. Wow. Uh, not well. It wasn't a taboo. It wasn't mm. a thing that you couldn't talk about. I think I talked about being. I, you know, I would talk about how rubbish at directions I am and how I can't do this because I'm just going to get lost. And he said, "Oh, your mum was the same." And he said, and sometimes he'd talk about the good because they had good times, you mm. know. The, I think in the sixties they they had a rare old time, and they were, you know, there you hear people talking about what great dancers they were, and you know how they make people laugh, and and he, he talked about, you know, he got lost on one of their very rare trips to London, and they were driving a mini, getting lost going around. Piccadilly Circus and just deciding not to care about it and just like going round and round and round. Uh, so he, you know, he would he'd be happy to share stories like that. Um, but we didn't really discuss the hard stuff. You know, mm. the, uh, we didn't discuss why they did. You know, it, life is short, and if you're a man like Paul, you, you don't necessarily want to spend it talking about upsetting things. Mm. Uh, and so he didn't want to talk about why they, why the marriage fell apart, and. He didn't want to talk about, you know, her missing her or mm. her dying or any of that stuff. So that, so he wasn't the go-to guy really for that. I had friends and I had uh, counselling for a bit. Did your brothers ever? Did you ever talk about that? Um, a bit, kind of off and on, yeah. but not until we'd had a couple of pints. Yeah. Um, but it was it was perfectly possible. It was possible, but it wasn't. It was hard. I saw more of them afterwards after she died. Probably because I was old enough to go to the pub with them. Um, I I spent more time with them, and I think the time is the is the important thing. Mm. Um, it, it's not really quite so important that you know the quality of what you're talking about or how deeply you're talking about it. The fact that you're sitting next to each other is mm. something, yeah. and um, and that helped. Yeah, I was very grateful to have them, and you know we were all we were in that same boat really. So. It, you know, whenever you can say to someone who, who's just lost someone, you're not alone. Mm. I think, you know, the more people can hear that, the, the the better it is. And that's one of the motivations for including so much of this stuff in in the book. I do want to reach out and say to people who've lost people, you know, you're not the only one. And, you know, and to turn it, you know, from some upsetting news. I mean, if you just want upsetting news, watch the news. But I see my job as a writer as someone who turns it into something that is going to mean something to other people, that it's an outward-facing book in that respect. I think grief is so isolating. Yeah. In a way that I still find hard to explain. <laughs> like you yeah. said, you can feel so alone, even if you... I have an older brother. Yeah. And, you know, even though you can see, see the same... Per- you know, you know, like you said, you're both going through it, but you can feel so alone. Yeah. And definitely with this podcast, you know, people often email in and say, oh, I just didn't know other people felt like that yeah and it's and you can but, but there are things that, that that are common to a lot of people mm. you know the days of the year oh, you know yeah, for the yeah. first two three four i'd say five years mm. for me it was like five or six years that you know uh, her birthday uh, their death day um you know christmas obviously and you know and no although fireworks night or whatever you know whatever 
day of the year it is that you know brings them back um mm. those days are tough do you still find that now no really no. even on like not really wow um no i can get through christmas day. i mean i i'm gonna think of uh, yeah she's of course she's gonna pop into my head christmas day most birthdays but but honestly no it, it's time and it's you know and i say in the book you know you're never you realize that you're never going to be over it but you are going to make peace with it mm, you, yeah. you sort of uh you learn to coexist with it and it's this sort of ongoing peace deal yeah and it does it does just get better with time you know the good the good stroke bad news is the first five years are the worst <laughs> <laughs> after, know, yeah. after that it kind of um it does and also the the fact that you've that you during those five years or whatever it is different for everyone of course you start you feel guilty if you if you're not thinking about them all the yeah, time yeah yeah and that's another thing that i think is is universal that you know you start feeling bad that you don't miss them enough because you get used to life without them of course you do so then there's things that they well they've never been to that house or they've never they didn't know that person yeah, so they, yeah, the yeah. associations just drop off one by yeah. one but i think you're right the first five years sorry guys um, the first five years are definitely I, well i say to everyone the first year is just the worst it's just raw it's so raw and yeah. then everything after that if you can just get yeah. dressed after that yeah great yeah you are absolutely. you are getting there absolutely when your dad got sick yeah did that did it was it so different to your mum that it didn't bring anything up or did you have those same yeah some things some things came up i mean it, it just feels like such a you know i was at a completely different stage of my life yeah. and a different person in many ways and and also the fact that he was he was 69 which for a person of his generation is not brilliant but there again it's certainly not tragic mm. it's uh, and and he did you know he hurt his body all his life long you know he was a regular smoker and and, and could stick it away uh, pint wise um so it was not, uh, you know, it wasn't unexpected. You know, <laughs> it sounded like I was about to say, so he fully, fully deserved it. <laughs> so, but uh, but what I mean is, uh, he, uh, it wasn't unexpected, and he knew, you know, he, I remember him saying it's my own bloody fault. He had emphysema and prostate cancer, um, and it was uh, the fact that I wasn't there is a bit is a huge difference as well. You know, uh, both my brothers live locally, uh, but I was uh, hundred miles away in London. And so Mark, again, my oldest brother, who is the unsung hero, really, who comes out, he's always been in the front line of this stuff. And uh, he looked after all of the sort of arrangements. Dad was taking steroids, uh, which gave him uh, massive headaches, and he was just really unhappy. Uh, and then he was in hospital, and then uh, Mark gave me a call, and I drove down and saw him, and he was already unconscious. and. Mm. And then Mark, you know, dealt with all of the all of the stuff, all of the admin, uh, and the three of us, Andrew, my other brother, were in the house, sort of sorting out who was going to take what and who we were going to leave for the auctioneer, or, uh, all that stuff. But it 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 just felt very different. I think Mark Mark was closer to him, and also Mark saw so much more of him. Mm. I think Mark misses him every day still. Um, it was a, it's a different relationship. Uh, and I, you know, and in the book, even though I couldn't really write the book without, I couldn't really tell the story without that beginning bit where he wasn't at his best. 
but uh, where dad wasn't at his best with a small family, just didn't know what to do with a small family. I hope that I'm generous to him, in fact, just fair to him uh, later on, that there were lots of things to admire about him, and I did love him, and I think I grew to like him, mm. and there's a difference. You know, there were things that I, I noticed that I admired about him, and that was, it was great that I, that we, that, you know, we had that, we had a sort of understanding long before he got ill. Mm. Um, I say in the book, uh, for some reason I start talking about, um, physical displays of, of affection and the fact that you know me and dad were doing this we're doing this handshake bullshit until my sort of mid-30s until I just sort of say look, look come here and gave him a hug when you know greetings and hellos and goodbyes yeah. basically he went oh we're, we're hugging now are we boy <laughs> oh righto and he was pleased yeah and delighted oh right so that only took 35 years well done everyone <laughs> Um, but before that, you know, we were doing these handshakes, like we were just businessmen. <laughs> nice to meet you. I've never met you before. You seem like a very pleasant man. Do you think he felt like he couldn't ask to hug you? Like he was in a world yeah. that he couldn't say. I think there was. I think traditional rules of masculinity. I think yeah. it was. Uh, I think it, it was hard. He couldn't say "I love you" uh, for a while either, until I started saying it to him. And then so you definitely he, like led the. Yeah, I was the, the hippie of the family, basically. Oh. I, I was. The, I was Mr. Went to University touchy feely. But, but the touchy feely came long after I left yeah. university. But it's important for a family to have that. And it's important for a family, I think, because it's all. Then everyone can laugh at you, but yeah. secretly you allow them to be emotional. So I'm yeah. sure there was lots of, oh, right, oh, yeah, here he goes. But inwardly, oh, God, thank God, that's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, someone has to be the one that suggest things but then gets the piss taken out of them well that's how it works in my family I think, that's, I think that's right yeah. yeah my dad was very much like they're like we're all going to sit down and talk and we'd all be like oh for god's sake oh he's so pathetic what now but inwardly like oh great actually I'd really love to talk yeah, actually, I'm not going to say that to you like I don't want you to know this, this is not going to be my gay idea <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Um. so you just wrote the book so it's just come out recently did you feel like you had to wait for your dad yes yeah yeah, because uh, it would have been just cruel. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, partly cowardice. I'll, I'll admit to a certain amount of cowardice, but but I couldn't have told that story about him, his demerits as a dad early on, with him still around, because it would have been just mean. Because mm. um, I had to tell the truth, and you know, he, there was, it just felt that nothing would be gained by confronting him with that. Just how frightened I was of him mm. towards the end of his life, it, it felt like that was a. I mean, maybe it would have been a good idea, but anyway, uh, I didn't. Um, I think he knew anyway, but, you know, you don't want to read about it in someone's book. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about having children. They will get the last word. <laughs> uh, and I'm aware, <laughs> I'm aware that, yeah. you know, my kids will. Yeah. Uh, so, I'm, <laughs> so you sort of, you keep an eye on what you're doing a bit, a bit better. <laughs> good reason to be a good dad. Just yeah. in case they write that book, yeah, exactly. you never know. Yeah. Well, Rob, the book is available to buy now. It is. It's called How Not to Be a Boy. How Not to Be a Boy. From <laughs> available all... in all good bookshops oh, and good probably job. some rubbish ones too. Thank you very much. Thank you. You can follow Robert on Twitter at a Robert Webb, and you can buy his excellent book How Not to Be a Boy right now. And yes, I have only read a little bit, but what I did read was so heartbreakingly excellent, I would thoroughly recommend it, especially for those of us who are in the club. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at The Griefcast or on Instagram at The Griefcast or email us, thegriefcast at gmail.com. Apologies if you have emailed and I haven't got back to you yet. I just want to reply properly to all of your incredible emails. So thank you so much for all your support. It really does help me to carry on making the show. 
genuinely thank you music was provided by the glue ensemble google them you can download the track and their album as well which is equally wonderful and the show is produced by kate holland hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.